So before we get into the actual how-to of composting, we need to get a couple of uh, definitions of, just before we get started, uh, Organic matter is anything that comes from a plant or animal, such as could be, you know, lettuce leaves, cow manure, cow manure carrots, uh, anything that comes from a plant or animal. So, and humus is broken down organic matter, which is the source is unrecognizable. You can't tell what it came from. Uh, it's a spongy brown substance, and it's a key to soil health. Uh, kind of like crumbled up chocolate cake or something like that. It's, should have a picture of it up there, but anyway. Uh, let's see, what, okay. And it, for organic matter to decay into humus, it has to have the right conditions. And uh, also humus, it gives uh, soil to improve soil texture, water retention, aeration, and also nutrient retention. Oh, I guess I had a slide for you. Okay, composting is the process of transforming organic wastes into humus, nutrient-rich humus, through controlled decomposition. So, as when the organic matter is broken down, it builds your humus, and that it feeds the plant, it gives it both, humus both builds organic matter and feeds the plant. There seems like there's just about as many composting methods as there are people who like to compost. <laughs> so, but what you need is not just like a composting me method or a recipe. What you need is like the basic principles of composting and then you can take that and use it for your situation or uh, what you have available or just, you know, what you have to work with. So the requirements of good compost are balance of carbon and nitrogen in the composting materials, proper moisture, and good aeration. The first thing is the balance of carbon and nitrogen. It is referred to as the carbon-nitrogen ratio. And the first number is the carbon, and it's always to one part nitrogen. Ideal carbon to nitrogen ratio for rapid decomposition is 25 to 1 to 30 to 1. And choosing your material is sort of like planning a balanced diet for your microbes. Okay, so a low carbon to nitrogen ratio that is equals a high nitrogen content. So if the first number there, you know, low carbon to nitrogen ratio, it means that it has less carbon in proportion to nitrogen. So it means high nitrogen. Those things are usually fresh green things, succulent things. Uh, like alfalfa hay is, let's see, 13 to 1. Uh, clover is 15 to 1, manure is 10 to 20 to 1, grass clippings are 15 to 20 to 1, and vegetable wastes are 12 to 1. And, you know, this is just uh, sort of a non-exhaustive list, you know, it's just some examples. You know, you just take what you have and you can just sort of get a general idea. Also, with the carbon to nitrogen ratio, you don't go out there and get out your calculator and make a spreadsheet and calculate exactly how many 
parts of carbon and nitrogen in your compost pile, you know, you just sort of get a, eventually sort of get a feel of what the right carbon to nitrogen ratio is, and then you just use that. And then there's other materials that are low nitrogen, high carbon materials. A high carbon to nitrogen ratio is a low car nitrogen content. So those things are usually like dry, straw-like, woody, like straw is 80 to 1, sawdust is 400 to 1. It's very high carbon and low nitrogen. has like almost no nitrogen in it. And it's actually often not good to use that for compost because it's so low nitrogen and it can also be very acidic or somewhat acidic. And then leaves, I assume dry leaves, are 50 to 1 and dry corn stalks are 60 to 1. We like to use dry corn stalks and that kind of stuff. About the next thing. Okay, I guess this is just sort of how you can layer the layers. Uh, Dad, do you have these handouts? Okay, we have some, we have some uh, things of a list here of different materials with their carbon-nitrogen ratios. Okay, and so some materials naturally have the right carbon-nitrogen ratio for, for good decomposition, but you can get the right ratio by layering different like high-nitrogen and low-nitrogen materials to get the right total carbon uh, total carbon-nitrogen ratio. And so, if, and if your pile's too high in nitrogen, it will not smell very good. It will put off ammonia because they're getting rid of all the excess, uh, all the excess uh, nitrogen in the form of ammonia. And if it's too low, it'll just sort of sit there like, you know, a pile of wood chips or something. Well, wood chips, they'll break down. But if It'll just sit there and break down very slowly, if at all, if it doesn't have enough nitrogen. And so this here is just sort of like, I guess, an example of how it can be layered with a layer of high nitrogen and low nitrogen. I think we'll have more on that later. Uh, some people think that you need manure to make good compost, but it does make good compost because it has plenty of nitrogen, but you can make good compost with all uh, vegetable matter, and it's actually, vegetarian compost is actually best for delicate plants and seedlings because it doesn't have some uh, harmful, potentially harmful to the plant byproducts that animal manure can have. Microbes, and this is the next thing, uh, next principle of composting, microbes need the proper moisture to, to decompose and turn your organic matter into humus. It needs to be moist, but not soggy, you know, dripping, well, I guess it can be dripping, but not soggy wet. These should feel something like a wrung out dish rag. Now, I usually don't go down in there and feel exactly how it feels, but anyway. 
They need to be well soaked as the pile is built. So as you're building the pile, you make sure you really, especially the dry materials, like if you have straw, you really soak them because they can absorb a lot of water. Uh, and you need to soak them as you're building the pile. It's best to soak dry materials as you're building the pile and not afterwards because if you soak it afterwards, then it has a hard time reaching the middle of the pile. And the third principle of good compost is good aeration. You need to have good aeration for proper decomposition because the good microbes that break down organic matter into humus are aerobic microbes, which means that they take oxygen. They need oxygen to survive and function. And if it doesn't have oxygen, you will get anaerobic micro microbes. You know, if your pile runs out of air, you'll have anaerobic bacteria. They take over and they'll even like produce toxic substances like aldehydes, which is like one of them is formaldehyde. Actually, incidentally, vanilla is one of them, but you won't get vanilla out of your compost pile. <laughs> like, it's, you know, unhealthy putrefaction instead of health, healthy decomposition. It's like, you know, a bucket of sloppy garbage. You know how that turns all yucky? So that's, that's what will happen if you don't get enough oxygen. And straw-like materials, they give good aeration, plenty of air into there. Uh, and you can turn your pile to aerate it. Uh, it, if you use straw-like materials, you don't have to turn the pile as much because there's already air in there, giving it, you know, it has space to have air in there. And so they just keep it aerated. Uh, another way to reduce the need for turning it is to build like a bale enclosure. And with a bale enclosure, one of the main reasons that you, or one of the reasons that you need to turn it is to take things from the outside that are drier and cooler, you know, they haven't heated up as much, and move them into the middle so they can compost better. But with, uh, <coughs> with a straw bale enclosure, you end up with, it insulates it on the outside and also keeps it warm. So you don't have to turn this. it. In, insulates it and keeps it moist, I meant to say, so you don't have to turn it as often. Uh, you know, you just make it like one bale wide and a couple bales high. Okay, so this is sort of a step-by-step -step thing of how to build a compost pile. Uh, you break up the... What happened? Okay, there we go. Break up the soil under where you're going to build your pile. You you place like one inch sticks or some kind of, that kind of stuff in your pile. It can be, you know, sunflower stalks or corn stalks or, you know, even sticks. That's what you have. And then you put a three to four inch layer of brown straw-like materials, your low, your low nitrogen, high carbon stuff. And that gives it both aeration and carbon and low nitrogen or whatever, low, yeah, low nitrogen. 
And then you can put one to six inches of high nitrogen material like manure and green matter. You know, whatever you have like. And it depends, you know, if you have like kitchen scraps or manure or something, something that's very compact, you like only need a couple inches or something, you know, an inch or two because it's very compact. But, you know, if you have pea vines or whatever it might be that are very, you know, have some space in there, you can put a thicker amount. Uh, it, you can sprinkle garden soil or manure or compost between the layers to inoculate the pile with microorganisms. Uh, if, you're, if you sprinkle soil, you want to sprinkle just a little bit, but not create a distinct layer, because that will keep your pile from heating up. We usually don't, like, put, we usually don't inoculate our pile. Well, we just sort of figure we're going to be throwing broccoli, the, you know, bro old broccoli plants we've rooted up and weeds we pulled out of our garden there. They'll have a little bit of soil on them. But if you build your compost pile right and it has the right materials, it should just compost without having to be inoculated. Uh, if materials are dry, you water each layer as you build the pile. And if you have dry weather, you can check your pile to make sure it's not drying out. Check it weekly. And then you just repeat the steps three to six until your pile is three to four feet high. And you just, you know, keep layering low carbon, high carbon, low carbon, high carbon. And like, well, like, there you can sort of see how it goes up your pile. And then cover the pile to keep it from getting too much sunshine, too much rain. Uh, if it, you know, you don't want your pile to get too wet. And also, sunshine can have a germicidal effect on the, on the, your good microbes that will kill and just makes that everything works better if you cover it. If it rains like more than, if it rains like less than maybe half an inch a week or you know, it doesn't rain much, you can maybe use like leaves or something, but straw or leaves, but if it rains more than, you know, just a little bit, it's a good idea to cover it with a tarp or, you know, something to keep the water and the sun off. Then you turn the pile after each heating phase, it will heat up. And after each heating phase, you can turn the pile. And they have these thermometers that you can, like compost thermometers that you can stick into a pile that will give you the temperature. But it's not really necessary. Well, you can just take a stick or better yet, a piece of pipe, piece of conduit and stick it into the pile. And if it's really good and hot, when you pull it out, it'll be a little bit hotter than you want to hold on to for very long. So, and as it cools down, you can turn it and you try to put materials from the outside back into the inside and, you know, rotate it. And after you have turned the pile two to three times, it's compost ready to be applied to the to the garden. Now, sometimes you'll see things of, you can make compost in two weeks or something. Well, 
maybe you can make some kind of compost in two weeks, but to really make good compost, it takes longer. Uh, or, you know, maybe if you shred it up real fine, you can get it to go faster. But uh, it takes, you know, like maybe a few months, several months to get compost like for your garden. But if you want like really fine compost, like say you maybe you want to put in potting mix, you will need to like leave it for more like maybe a year or two, year, year and a half, something like that. And so, and if you want it even finer, you can screen it in like half inch or quarter inch mesh. Uh, you can build your compost pile without an enclosure, but it's, it'll keep your whole compost thing nicer. You know, you can get, you can go up higher without it sprawling out all over your garden if you have an enclosure. And also it'll keep the critters out of it better. And so you can use like uh, cement blocks or boards or a circle of wire mesh. What we use a lot is we just take this, uh, you know, we take pallets and we put like one here, we have some pictures of it here coming up. You put one pallet here, one pallet here, and one pallet here, and then you wire them together on the corners. And then you just put boards through the, through the holes in the front. And that makes a nice compost bin. Uh, your pile, ideally it should be like one cubic yard. So, but you can build it a little bit at a time. You know, you don't have to make your whole one cubic yard of a compost pile at one time. You can go little by little and add a little bit at a time. Uh, it won't, even if your compost doesn't really heat up, if it has the right kind of ingredients, it will still compost. It'll just take longer. Uh, one other thing you can potentially use, uh, if you, you want, you can put rock powders like rock phosphate in with your compost if you need to add a certain uh, nutrients. Okay, and this here is just some pictures of our compost pile, what it looks like as we're building it. We're starting out there with corn stalks and the plants that are left over from, uh, from broccoli. It's kind of rough stuff on the bottom. And then here we're adding high nitrogen, green, leafy stuff. And this is more low nitrogen type stuff. More high nitrogen more high nitrogen. This, these weren't all taken, you know, we didn't do this all the same day. So it's, we probably in between, we put some straw. You can see some straw over there uh, on the right side of the photo, or left side of the photo. So we probably put some straw, we should have at least, we should have put some straw in between. And more high nitrogen material. And there we put a good layer of straw. And there's some kitchen garbage, you know, what's left over after you eat your watermelons and make your 
KL, whatever, everything is left. And more good stuff. Uh, looks like that was probably pulling out summer squash out of our greenhouse. And then we're putting a good layer of straw on there. And more high nitrogen material. And there we're soaking it down really well, making sure it's well soaked. Uh, the dry straw. Here we're putting through more boards, more high nitrogen, some good grass clippings there. There we covered it with a covered it with a piece of plywood to keep it dry. Uh, we often don't get around to turning it very many times, but I think we did turn this pile, but after it sort of melted down some. Because, and I think you just take the boards out of that. Yeah, you can use hay, straw, whatever you have available. You, the, like I said, those lists that I gave there, they're good guidelines, but they're not precise. You know, if you have, if you have weeds out of your garden, you know, as long as they don't have too many weed seeds in them, just, you know, throw those in just whatever you have available. Yeah. Uh, we don't really worry about it. It's inside our garden fence, so anything that's not going to get into the garden to eat what's in the garden isn't going to get into the compost pile. Yes? Uh, we usually we usually burn our tomato vines after we do them, but I'm not really sure. Dad. They're fine. Uh, actually, I think the one we had, it flipped end over end. And it's just, it's just easy to do it this way. You know, you don't have to but that, it's a nice way that you can mix it. Yes? Yeah. Okay, so he was saying that uh, it makes great compost if you make sure to turn it every day, but if you don't, it'll start to get moldy or something. Uh, actually, I think that's why ours didn't work very well. We weren't turning it every day, and so it kind of, and also we didn't, weren't careful not to get rain into it, so it just kind of all turned wet and sloppy and it's a good example of what happens if you get too wet of a compost pile. Okay, the questions if there's some things that shouldn't go in the compost pile. We put our banana peels and orange peels and stuff like that that are potentially sprayed with pretty bad stuff in a separate compost pile and we just let it compost. and. I don't know, we don't do an awful lot with that. We might use it for something, I'm not sure what. But potatoes, I don't know. We just put, we throw potatoes in there. I don't know why potatoes would cause any problem unless maybe from the grocery store uh, they're somehow treated, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We don't, we don't really, worry about the potatoes, but that, that's probably something good to think about. Yeah, I'm not sure. Lemon seeds, I would think the seeds would be fine. Uh, our compost pile tends to grow up big time all over the place because it's, we 
throw all kinds of seeds in there. So if you don't want that, then don't put seeds in there. But, you know, we have avocado trees sprouting and mangoes occasionally. And yeah, so. Okay, any other questions? Where's the nitrogen one? It's, it's in the wrong order. Oh, okay, never mind. Okay, so here's some different sources for different, uh, for different uh, nutrients for your garden. Uh, nitrogen, you can get that from compost. You can get it from manure. Legume crops, that's, you know, peas, beans, all that, soybeans. Uh, leguminous, leguminous green manures, and you know green manures. That's my dad probably already talked about that. Uh, and then protein meal. That's you know soybean meal, uh, alfalfa meal. Uh, well, I don't know about alfalfa meal. Soybean meal, uh, blood meal, whatever. We usually don't use those because they have a lot of you know you don't know what they might have in them from the, from the process from the animals. Uh, and we often use like, one thing on compost I should have mentioned, for high nitrogen, anything that has protein in it. Because nitrogen is central to the protein molecule, so anything that has protein in it is a good high nitrogen thing. Uh, if you have buggy, some old buggy oats or some buggy flour, buggy rice, you know, anything, buggy, old buggy beans or, you know, whatever you have, just that is good, high nitrogen stuff. You can even use that. We like to use uh, old beans for side dressing in the garden. The only thing is you have to blend them up or else heat them so that they don't sprout. And sources of phosphorus, colloidal phosphate, two to three percent, is available. Uh, like it's like rock phosphate; it has actually twenty percent in it, but only two to three percent is available. So, it that makes it so that it's a very slow release thing. So it releases slowly over time. Uh, and of course, compost and manure. Most things of compost because. Compost has just about everything in it, in some, some degree or another. Uh, sources of potassium, compost, granite dust, only 5% fi is available, so it's very slow release. Green sand is 5%. That's also a slow release. And then wood ashes, and then potassium sulfate. Uh, that's very available. It's quite... Uh, potent or what or what do you want to say like it's almost to the point where you don't you know you don't want to put too much on maybe five gallon bucket over a thousand square feet is that what you're saying so you don't want to put on too much or it might be you know too hard on the plants to force feeding them okay sources of calcium High calcium lime, that's 39% calcium. It's the stuff you need high calcium lime. You know, you don't want dolomite lime because dolomite lime is only 21% calcium, but it also has magnesium in it, 11% magnesium. 
and then gypsum if you don't want to raise your pH uh, but you still need to put on calcium you can put on gypsum because the sulfur in it will also lower the pH it has 24% calcium and 17% sulfur all those ingredients are natural uh, or the uh, there you know some of them are I don't know that there So dolomite lime, 21% calcium, 11% magnesium. It's good if you also need to raise your calcium. And if you don't want to raise your calcium any, any you have magnesium sulfate, Epsom salt, 9% magnesium. And then you have trace elements. Uh, these are often not, you know, in compost, they're just a little bit, but not really enough uh, to, to fix a problem in your garden. Boron, uh, borax, you know, just regular 20 mule team borax out of the store. It's 11% boron. Iron, you can get that from iron sulfate. That's 21% iron. You can get manganese from manganese sulfate. It's 23% manganese. Copper, you can get that from copper sulfate, 25% copper, zinc, zinc sulfate, that's 35% zinc. The last slide. Yeah. Okay, so we already covered this. Okay, this here is a bed with uh, alfalfa pellets in with the onion sets. Shows sort of how in row dress. And then this is just uh, okay, so this here is uh, what is this related to? Oh, this is just incorporating. Maybe I'll okay. And you know, you could say this is gonna be like your backyard. It's got grass growing on it or whatever, and you need to get it to be in a garden. So then we just spaded it up, and uh, we want to really increase the fertile depth. So we, and we want to get rid of that grass or weeds. So we kind of, you know, you learn this technique of flip the spade in such a way it puts the green stuff down there. And in the process is putting the compost down there. That's not the only compost you'll see. We're going to put some more on. So we really put some good stuff down there, okay? And so here we're just finishing it up. And now my son is adding another uh, layer on the top because if you just end up with that down there in the bottom and you plant lettuce, the lettuce will be struggling up here. It has surface roots. It won't be accessing that. That's for your long-term building your soil. But so we're putting on another basically half inch <clears throat> on the top <clears throat> and just sprinkle it on there and then we tilled it in and we just tilled it real lightly so we didn't bring that grass up from down in there and then we just let it set for two weeks okay and then we came and this is like when you would put on your amendments for your soil test okay so here we're putting on alfalfa meal, but it could be alfalfa pellets or whatever, 
for a nitrogen source because lettuce needs a lot of nitrogen. And that compost, it was not that fresh or strong in nitrogen. So the lettuce is going to need a little bit more to make a big head of romaine lettuce. So we put that on there like that. And you can put on your rock phosphate, your lime, your gypsum, your borax, all that stuff. Or you could have put it on right after you did that first spading. You could have tilled it into the surface and let it sit for two weeks. Then after two weeks here, we're putting on whatever we need to put on. Make sure we get all our good amendments on there. And then if you don't have a rototiller, you can do all this by hand. When you get done spading, you just go back over it and just chop, chop, chop. It'll give you really good, you know, exercise, okay? Yeah. And don't have to do it all in one, one time. And here we did it the lazy way then. We just rototilled it, okay? And uh, <clears throat> this is not an advertisement for Troy Belt, okay? And then we raked it nice and smooth and marked the rows real nice and straight or crooked if you like it that way. And here's our lettuce ready to go. My son likes this thing because you don't have to bend your back. It's in Johnny's. And you just drop that thing down there and it's, it makes a terrible jolt on the lettuce plant, but it saves your back. Okay. And it's all adjustable down there on the bottom so it gets at the right depth if you push it in the same every time. But somehow, I want to just put them in there and know it went in nice and gentle. Yeah, and so we have kind of a balance between the two, okay? 30-60 or 60-30, depending on how my back is feeling. And sometimes you can just put the alfalfa pellets right in the holes with the lettuce, okay? Um, if you think that it just needs a little, little touch or early in the spring, okay? <clears throat> it's fun. Get out there as a family. I mean, this is a good life, really, it is. And when your son says, this is fun, then you go, wow, that's great. Amen. There it is. Okay, and then a month or so later, that's what it looks like. This was in the fall. It's harder to grow lettuce like that in the fall. You've got to really give it some good go power. Um, and here we're swooping in for some salads for lunch. My wife puts that, um, uh, what do you call it, pumpkin seed oil uh, salad dressing on it. Well, you can eat bushels of salad, figuratively, of course, so that kind of gives you, you know, you see it. We, that's, that's the way you do all this stuff I was talking about this morning. It all comes together there on, on that bed. Okay. Okay. Maybe we can do a few questions. Uh, if you have some of all the frayed out things from this morning or sources there we had of how you get those, where you find them and all this stuff. Yes. No, uh-uh, no. Um, oh, yeah, the question is whether we sprayed anything. This lettuce looks so much like the grocery store, we would think that it was sprayed with something. 
Actually, if you could see right there, there were a few that the grasshoppers ate some holes in because it was fall in it. But it was not enough to, you know, be, be a problem. And so we, oh, maybe we do at certain times, there'll be problems with uh, maybe uh, cabbage worms or something like that, and we'll spray with Dipel. Joel will talk about that. Um, natural insecticide that is just a bacteria that makes the cabbage worms die from messed up digestive dipel but the the um, bacteria is bacillus thuringiensis bt yeah. yeah the the question was if you have bermuda grass say in your lawn or whatever in your soil what do you do yeah, because I, I worked in Alabama for 12 years, and so, yeah, we had it there, oh boy. And so now the neat thing to do is you use a tarp, and you just put that over it for several months during the summer, and it will just kill it from lack of light. Or if you don't have that and whatever, you just keep it tilled so it never can make green, but that, you know, it takes a lot of, a lot of work, but yeah. It'll be a problem if you don't get the perennials out. It's not, you know, it's not that that they're immune to bugs, okay? But it's just they're much less likely to be a, a bug problem. John, Joel will talk about that uh, in the in the next session here. How many minutes do we have still? Okay. Yes. Question, um, I've been reading a lot lately about the no-till methods, like the return huh? to Eden where you're doing some, yeah. the lasagna, kind of the more yeah. permaculture. Okay. What are your thoughts on Yeah. That? Okay, the question is, what about the lasagna method and the back to Eden method where you basically just put wood chips on your whole garden and it just grows wonderful? Or you do this lasagna method, you put down newspaper and then you go to Lowe's and get all these materials and put them on there and everything just grows. I've seen some of those gardens just grew great and others it just didn't grow well at all. And it was usually the materials. They got the composted horse manure from Lowe's. It's basically dried horse manure, cow manure that was just didn't have any nitrogen in it. And so, oh, Steve, what's the problem? So I look, well, somehow you ended up with you know, too high carbon, not enough nitrogen. So if you're thinking about that as you're doing this, you know, doing a thing where you put down something, I don't know if I'd use newspaper, but something to be a barrier, and then you just build a, a bed on top. It's not all bad, but I prefer, like I told you, my whole song and dance is build the soil, say. And you'll find if you're in a dry area, you have to water a lot more and so forth. So that's sort of, you know, my take on it. But some people almost put spiritual, you know, connotations in they're so against that back to Eden method. Well, they're putting on a lot of organic matter and so forth. But again, I've seen just putting a whole bunch of wood shavings over your garden is not going to solve the problem. In fact, it'll probably take nitrogen from your soil. And if you listen to that very carefully, that DVD, he actually says he has, he composts chicken manure. And he puts that in, but he doesn't emphasize that. It sounds like it's all the wood shavings. So if you do what I've been telling you, be sure when you're building your organic matter, you put plenty of nitrogen in there. Hey, wood shavings are a wonderful mulch if you have plenty of nitrogen in your soil and the other nutrients. 
putting wood shavings on won't take care of a boron deficiency or whatever, see, real deficiency, which your soil probably has. So you need to, uh, you know, be intelligent in what you're doing. Then each one of these have some merit to them. And don't make a spiritual war over some neat idea somebody came up with. You learn from everyone. So I just, boy, I just sat there in trance listening to that. And my son can hardly drag me away from the screen listening to that and just hearing everything I can learn, see? And so that's, then I bring it to share it with you, whatever I learn. Or I go and plant it in my, I tried it in my garden first, see? And then that's what I found out, just what I told you. Yeah. Okay, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Moved to West Virginia. We got plenty of birds there. Yeah. But I've never been able to find somebody that could tell me, wow, I produced an observable benefit from playing bird songs. Everything I heard, I could just about imagine that it was what they sprayed on while they played the bird songs. You see, so you got to kind of be skeptical, health, have a healthy level of skepticism about things like bird songs. There's probably something to it, yeah. Okay, we better wind up here, and uh, yes. Yeah, you can, yeah. And that force feeds the plant. See, that's the problem with what you get in Walmart. See, you can, oh, thank you, thank you. Can you get too much nitrogen? That's the problem with chemical fertilizer. You can grow a huge plant that is devoid of those micronutrients or it's imbalanced nutrition, grows a lot of cellulose, this kind of watery whatever and doesn't taste that great. Whereas if you do this with the humus, it's feeding cafeteria style, see. You take it when you want it, Mr. Plant. Whereas the nitrogen, too much nitrogen, it force feeds the plant. Yeah. And then Neil Kinsey can spend a whole day telling you how too much of any nutrient actually suppresses the uptake of another nutrient. If you put on too much nitrogen, the, the grains will lodge, they'll fall over before they ripen, not because of the nitrogen, but because the copper can't get into the plant. So on and on and on, that kind of thing. You know, they're little subtle things that, that um, hey, let's just try to cooperate with the system God has put there. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.